as a young entrepreneur on the continent, you're paying the same utility bills that Vodafone's paying. You're paying the same utility bills that a pharmaceutical is paying because we don't have a nuanced structure to delineate my business enterprise from another business enterprise that can afford the cost of it. So you can see how like innovation hubs would form so that we consolidate the costs of, of paying for an office space. So the, the podcast really became, wow, there's a whole voice of, of how difficult it is for me to play in Ghana. And even worse, for me to play and have a Ghanaian business that operates in South Africa or have a Kenyan business that operates. That's not being had at all. <laughs> hey, everyone. What's going on? Welcome back. Um, well, if this is your first time listening, uh, you're now tuned into the sound of Accra. I go by the name of Adrian Daniels, and this is the wonderful show uh, where we chat with colorful creatives and entrepreneurs from a Ghanaian background, all with a special interest to the city, bringing you one step closer to Accra, wherever you are, uh, representing global Ghanaian excellence and talent across the face of the globe. I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I really geeked out on this one guys um i sat down with multimedia uh journalist and digital consultant emmanuel agbeko gamo um, and he's known for hosting conversations ranging from tech to arts to culture um, you may have seen him at the world economic forum you may have seen him doing stuff with google with youtube i mean this guy's really big um really putting africa and gone on the map um I don't need to go any further than this because we got a whole podcast which is going to go into this. Um, but just some housekeeping, guys. Um, if you want the show notes, please visit thesoundofacrowd.com and click on the show notes. We've got our show notes already there for you, waiting for you um, to, to enjoy. Um, if you haven't subscribed or left a review for the podcast, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on, what are you waiting for? Please go out and support support us, right? Um, as we're now coming to the end of season one. I hope you guys have enjoyed the ride. Um, but yeah, in this episode, we're going to talk about Smart City Africa and we're going to talk about Digital Ghana. I'm not going to say any more because the episode is going to talk for itself so i hope you guys enjoy it um there is a nice ad at the end of the episode so please listen to that and uh i'll catch you on the next one take care hey guys so i would like to introduce emmanuel gamma to the show also known as ea uh he is a digital and economic consultant um it's really hard to put him in a box because he's involved in so many different areas i mean tech innovation economics uh he's involved in you know digital space out in africa um it's really hard to put him in a box but i think i'll let him just kind of uh you know introduce himself and share a little bit more about all of that um emmanuel how you doing man i'm doing Really well. Thank you so much for inviting <laughs> me. It's a pleasure to be on, on your podcast. You're legendary. No. Oh, no. Come on, man. I'm only in season one. <laughs> I, I ain't no Michael Jordan yet, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what that's what they said about him when he had been drafted from North Carolina. He became like the GOATs. So you, you are legendary. <laughs> There's still, still higher to go. But I really appreciate the time oh, and inviting me on here. 
Oh, thanks to your kind words, man. I'm just trying to fly the flag for um, Afro Accra and global Ghanaian excellence. Um, I think that's kind of what my podcast is trying to stand for. So I think that's a niche I'm just trying to tap into. Um, but yeah, uh, Manuel, look, it's really great to have you on the show. I mean, I know you've had a few conversations. Um, I've, you know, I've seen you feature on, you know, young Ghanaian professionals uh, webinars recently, and just to see the fire, the wisdom, the knowledge that that's come out from that, as well as you're unpacking africa podcast which i've listened to i pretty much listen to every episode and um i wow. really love the conversations that you've had i'm being honest i've listened to, I've listened to pretty much every episode Thank apart you. from the health apart from the one on the health because right. health is not really my buzz topic but mm-hmm. I've listened to pretty much all the other episodes um and i like what you're doing for africa um yeah how are you doing and yeah i bet i bet i'm sure you can give the audience a little bit of a background into into yourself if that's okay before we kick in no absolutely and thank you so much for the kind words and and for listening mm-hmm. i think you share my my same like gratitude when you put something out there and it, it resonates and people appreciate what you put out there because it's it's near and dear to our hearts and i'm grateful mm-hmm. that we're also aligned on um uh, sharing the Ghanaian african flag uh to the world as much as possible that's um, correct <laughs> I, I, i'm doing well thank you for asking i think I think I've gotten into a second kind of wave of thinking and being a little bit because with a lot of plans for 2020, thinking of the different things that we could do, um, being particularly excited about the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, and it was supposed to start being operationalized the 1st of July. Um, I think the pandemic just, it was almost like disbelief, like and you're going through like the five stages of grief of some sorts. And it just, mm-hmm. I, I've kind of come into it, into a, a specific space where I'm grateful for conversations like this in the podcast. Cause I think the pod yeah. has allowed like relationships that maybe would not have been fermented as deeply conversations that probably more lateral amongst ourselves might not have happened because mm-hmm. we, we had these goals and intentions of expanding forward rather than integration and sideways. I'm, I'm grateful for That's that. A good so. point. That's a good point. I think sometimes with the uh, African culture, um, we get too caught up in trying to kind of fulfill our own vision rather than trying to bring people, al- you know, running mates along mm-hmm. us, you know, to try and, you know, see the bigger picture. Exactly. Um, so I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. Um, that's really great. Um, yeah. If you just tell a little bit of um, the audience about, you know, your background and then we can kind of get into some of the, um, the main topics of the, of the podcast today. Absolutely. Um, born in Ghana, raised in the States, so high school, college, uh, and um, worked in D.C. for a nonprofit called Africare, moved back to Ghana in 2012. My dad wasn't feeling well. Then I kind of like, that's yeah, okay, um, bootstrapped with a radio idea on um, empowering young people, so bringing folks to share their stories of how they were hacking it in Ghana, right? And so yeah. that that led me to work for YFM and do business development for Global Media Alliance. But then I, I won a couple of awards with the show, including Google Africa Connected, and wow. they, they shared our story, and I got hired to work with Google as a program manager as well as um, YouTube country manager. And then I wow. was able to convince my bosses at the time, so Teju in Nigeria and Estelle, um, Akrofioso and Ghana, to host content creator huddles because I'm such a huge fan 
and believer of telling our own stories as we're doing it. I, uh, mm. I was raised with a bit of a journalistic background. And for us, <laughs> I think that like we, the more that you hear testimonies of how people make things work in their corner, the more that folks believe yeah. they can too. I think that that's, that's a great way of validating ourselves. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I was able to work in, um, digital and design innovation with Impact mm-hmm. Hub, and then I took a sabbatical to, to go teach entrepreneurial leadership in Mauritius um, at wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, Africa Leadership University, founded by Ghanaian Fred Swanica, um, former McKinsey, and he had started Africa Leadership Academy, and he had this vision to create um, millions of entrepreneurs and to allow a whole lot of young people to to get a college education based on entrepreneurial um foundation so wow yeah that was interesting Uh, (laughs) it was was an eye-opener it was great but it also showed me the gap that we have in which systems can we build for africa by africa that fits into the modern day capital markets that fits Mm. into the way that we future cast so the the wakanda vision is a specific type of vision it's it's not necessarily the the previous visions of previous empires, whether it's Songhai, Mali, Ghana Empire, it's it's almost like a modernistic take, but then still with African culture nuance and blended. And yeah. that has to be built. So Paris was built, Vegas was built, DC was built, London was built. So those type of systems have to be built. And in interrogating that, um, I moved to South Africa, Vits um, Business School to study the management of innovation. Yeah, I, I think I wanted. So that triggered that. So that triggered the move. Just kind of wanting to kind of like um, explore the whole um, visionary type thing. That that kind of triggered that move to South Africa. Just wanting to kind of dive deep into that area. Yes, it did. So I did really well when I was in the states. So like at Florida, I had a full scholarship. Was part of the honors program and mm-hmm. was campus involvement director. But I realized. Tell yeah. us about the honest program. Um, so, so Florida is, yeah, no, so it's, it's <laughs> once you're kind of like, I did well in the SAT, so as a national merit scholar. So they allowed me to be able to pick courses that I wanted. And because I, oh. I was done with prerequisites, I was able to take both artsy courses, um, some philosophy, um, some of some classes were like Age of Blockbuster, which was interesting because it helped me understand narratives being used in Hollywood and creating blockbusters okay. that reaffirmed okay. national identity. Mm-hmm. But the reason why um, that was important is because in Ghana, the way that I, I was able to work with Google, Impact Hub, work for an agency now available is because I had a very American-informed way of thriving and being a professional, which is great. It's, it's beneficial. Yeah. But when I was teaching in Mauritius, a lot of the examples that I had were not steeped in originally Ghanaian, indigenous, Nigerian, Kenyan. Those things were not making their way through like Harvard business cases, for example. So Mm -hmm. um, I'd I'd taken a a Harvard business case, executive education program, and it was for senior executives. At the time, I was director for digital and design innovation at Impact Hub. And all of us were, were like these philosophies make sense from like red ocean to blue ocean strategies, innovation management, but Mm. we didn't have case studies beyond maybe an MTN or Safaricom. We wanted like somebody's selling sugar to multiple countries. Somebody's doing cement. Somebody's doing logistics locally. Somebody is in charge of textiles industry. Who are these folks? 
what is their history and how do they make it work in Equatorial Guinea? How do they make it work in Benin? How do they make agriculture work in Ivory Coast? And so for, for me, I felt like there was a gap in understanding scaled up business models because I know how the farming industry works in the U.S. It's a monopoly, a small percentage of folks. It's well documented. You can Google it. <laughs> but, but that insight and that application, I couldn't easily map out um, to African okay. business. Um, okay. so, so I moved to South Africa because South Africa also um, is an industrial powerhouse, but then they've also made a decision outside of just telcos and MTN um, and now banks. So Stand Big Bank, Standard Bank, FNB, Captech, they're, they're, they're moving into what they would call <laughs> the rest of Africa. South Africa is funny mm-hmm. that way, but also malls. So you're thinking of yeah. shop rights, all of these uh, Mr. Price, all of these kind of from <laughs> manufacturing commercialized. And these are South African. They're, they're in Mauritius. Yeah, yeah. They're, in, they're in, in East Africa. West so I was Africa. like, taking on West Africa. You know, <laughs> I remember being in Ghana and Nigeria in the same year and going into a shop, right? And all these different, uh, for many, you know, supermarkets and malls. Mm. It's just, and I'm just thinking, ah, South Africa is just taking over everywhere. Game as well, right? Game, Game exactly. South Africa as well. Absolutely. Again, South Africa, that's in Ghana, that's in Nigeria, that's in West Africa. It's just interesting that everything is, that you're seeing in West Africa is emerging or is a result of South Africa, even MTN. Exactly. Um, so it, I think it makes sense for you because this for you is like, this is the base. This is the African base, South Africa, where all of these developments are sprouted out from. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and also at my time in Google, we realized that global companies kind of delineate countries separately. So you would have a North Africa or EMEA strategy. And within that, there'll be a separation of North Africa because of cultural nuance, Tunisia, Morocco, et cetera. You would have mm-hmm. a sub-Saharan Africa strategy and maybe split into Anglophone, Francophone demographics. And then you would have a South Africa strategy with the South Africa team. I was like, wait a minute, bro. <laughs> they, they must be doing numbers. Yeah, yes. Because <laughs> South Africa's um, commercial industry and financial markets, access to capital and just credit because uh, most sub-Saharan African countries, we struggle with national identification schemes. And so okay. for you to have what maybe most folks enjoy in the U.S. and the U.K. as a credit line, a credit facility, isn't there. Yeah. So folks are, are don't yeah. have. But in South Africa, it is. It's Yeah, um, because it's developed as a developed African country, unlike as not as much as it is developed mm-hmm. and countries like Ghana, Nigeria, etc., are not as developed and not as trustworthy, maybe as a, as a country as a whole. So you can't really put those systems in place. Right. And I do remember you, you talking about that in, in YGP as well, which is good. Okay. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, unpacking Africa. Um, yeah. I know it's all about, you know, figuring, figuring out ish and, you know, <laughs> Exploring ecosystems. I like the little tagline that you came up with. Thank uh, you. What I quickly want you to do is just quickly, just quickly, just explain the the podcast in a nutshell, and then just uh, explain the whole concept of ecosystems because I mm. think it goes in nicely with um, smart cities, which which is what we're going to talk about in just a moment. Excellent. Uh, thanks for the question. So, unpacking um, Africa came from. One after uh, enrolled in this innovation management program at Vits. One of the things that concepts or frameworks now I'm able to apply in looking at business and commerce is innovation systems. So, how does what role does government play, industry play 
academics play in this round loop. So when people hear Silicon Valley, it's a good like two name thing, and you have an image out of your mind, and Facebook pops out, like uh, Snapchat pops out, Google, like IBM. But what they yeah. forget is that it's an intentionally built community that benefited from PhD students, engineers, governments, grants, and funding that yeah. then created this fascinating loop of innovative products that were frontier markets that now our governments are dependent on, right? We don't, yeah. we don't have locally like stored databases. Our government email systems are really even the URLs. Um, that entire setup came from that curated system. Um, that yeah. really that vision vision that came from um, industry benefiting from academia and then government tapping into it and funding a lot of innovation that maybe commercial um, firms could not afford to to fund, but then later on can make a killing from. And we were seeing that again with Google, with the internet, DARPA, military projects, satellite phones. These things mm. benefited from an ecosystem. So mm. for 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 me, the the learning of innovation was really important, um, and I started a blog um, because I had the privilege of going to Davos in Switzerland and um, wow. speaking and representing kind of like the youthful voice, the youthful entrepreneur voice on a panel. It had um, the president of uh, African Development Bank, um, Dr. Desana. It also had um, MTN's group CEO. Um, and it had Winnie, um, and at the time she was the wow. executive director of Oxfam. Um, and they had yeah. another kind of like generational French um, funder. Like a, he's <laughs> he's his fund his family firm had been investing and making investments in Africa over the last decade uh, century, <laughs> which which fascinated wow. me. So then you can see, yeah, you can see the the players. Um, yeah, but That's then I was. Big. No, it was, but I was really frustrated. Mm -hmm. It was, and, and and I look back at that video. This was twenty nineteen, and okay. those I was very professional and I was very honest. But those who know me, I was incredibly alarmed because what I realized was, for those of us um, who have businesses, and you and I spoke about our family businesses at home, what we do, yeah. the conversation mm -hmm. at that level was very disconnected from the unpacking of African opportunities and the connections of integration that we need in order to push our day-to-day -day hustles, our day-to-day -day initiatives to be scalable businesses. Okay. Um, the conversation at that level was very much around, like at least for MTN, and this is uh, a generalization of more nuanced points that he and Dr. Disna were saying was okay. for, th for them, they had these huge businesses that are successful or this organization that is investing. Um, but it was left up to governments to create the conducive environment and then allow like entrepreneurs or firms to play. For me, it's okay. it's much more nuanced than that because a majority of the the continent's population are between eighteen and twenty five. A lot of yeah. us are informal, not in the formalized economy, don't have access to capital and collateral. So if you're not uh, a firm that is that has capitalization um, and is able to tap into uh, tax rebates and all of that, as a young yeah. entrepreneur on the continent, you're paying the same utility bills that Vodafone's paying. You're paying the same utility bills that a pharmaceutical is paying because we don't have a nuanced structure to delineate my business mm. enterprise from another business enterprise that could afford the cost of it. So you can see how like innovation hubs would form so that we consolidate the cost of, of paying for an office space. So the, the yeah. podcast really became, wow, there's a whole voice of, of how difficult it is for me to play in Ghana. And even worse, for me to play and have a Ghanaian business that operates in South Africa, 
or have a Kenyan business <laughs> that operates. That's not being had at all. <laughs> so I decided, okay, let, let me use some of the, the experience I have um, from the Empower Show and start to, to have these conversations that connect some of the, the theory that we're learning um, and, and innovation management on the continent, some of the capital markets that are very, very good at um, the examples of how America became great by being frontier yeah. markets, but also yeah. they're encouraging and bringing to, to the spotlight some of what um, folks like us, the, the new wave um, entrepreneurs who are hustling and bustling are doing so that people understand the nuance of our challenges and also the potential um, of the opportunities we present. So that's what really got wow. Unpacking Africa started. Fantastic. No, I mean, it, it sounds like a, a real voice for Africa. You're, you're connecting all of these different sectors and all these missing pieces to the puzzle together and just bringing all of these different elements together to kind of help us move more forward. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have Unpacking Africa right at the end of the podcast, guys, so you can, you know, go check that out. Um, and obviously more details about how you can listen it will be in the show notes. Okay. Thank so, you so um, much. now <laughs> much you're welcome. Appreciated. You're welcome, welcome Mentor. Um, so, before we kind of talk about smart cities, mm. um, I want to know your definition of an of a ecosystem. I think you kind of dabbled around it as you were just, you know, breaking down your podcast, I think. Um, but mm. can you, I want to I wanna know your kind of definition of an ecosystem because when it comes to ecosystems, I mean, people may think Apple, iCloud, iPad, iPhone, MacBook, um, you know, people may think of an Elon Musk with a Tesla, Solar City, <laughs> and all of these different things. I want to mm. know your definition of an ecosystem because I think it's going to play in nicely into uh, this discussion of smart cities in Africa. No, absolutely. And I think those are really relevant examples that you bring up because an mm -hmm. ecosystem is, and, 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 and I just, I'll try and move away from, um, an academic definition just for regular partners. It's just interconnected yeah. actors that benefit from common goals, common, mm -hmm. um, kind of perspective or initiative. So if you think of an ecosystem, you're looking at supply demand chain across the entire value chain system, right? It's no longer just, it, it, it gives you a framework of not thinking of yourself as, a singular input or output player, but even mm. in your actions and in your dealings, in what ways do you affect the economy of an entire system of actors? So the economic system um, kind of framework then lets you see, okay, cool, I'm, I'm creating this product and, and you can use Apple and now even Tesla. You've created a hardware software component, but you've also created a community platform that allows other people that are not necessarily in your core space as in software engineers to create a marketplace yeah. so not only mm -hmm. do you sell the hardware at its excellence but you sell the, the software platform and not only that yeah. but then you also curate additional innovation <laughs> within your market space so clever, isn't it? absolutely so once you think i'm like oh that's why tesla is doing well that's why apple's doing well because tesla owns the smart analytics transportation space so they're able to create the hardware and then they also own the software for making these cars incredibly smart and then that yeah. analytics allows them to dream a bit more and data and then for those who get it right they're able to create a marketplace that allows other actors to plug into it and yeah. and i think almost that like they, AI, almost exactly. like an api type of exactly. Amazing. Genius. exactly yeah yeah Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's move into smart cities. I'm sure you guys 
got the understanding of ecosystems and the reason why I wanted Emmanuel to to break that down I mean that's one of the specialties but the reason why guys I wanted him to break that down because when you think of smart cities um you think of ecosystems you know you you, you know you're you're looking at rapid urban development you you're looking at economic sustainability you're looking at environmental sustainability you're looking at living sustainability essentially um so as I wanted to kind of just talk about smart cities. So, um, Emmanuel, so right now, I mean, I'm sure you know there's, that there's now an emergence, especially as we hit 2020. Mm. There's now, you know, I wouldn't say it's a race, but now there's an emergence, a coming emergence of different ecosystems, sorry, mm-hmm. different smart cities popping up across Africa. So you may have uh, Echo Atlantic in Nigeria and in, in Victoria Island, which was quite nice. I went there uh, last year. Ooh, you have, I'm uh, jealous. Trinia. <laughs> I'm not Echo Atlantic, but I went to Victoria Islands. Okay. I was close. Okay. I was close. Yeah, yeah, I was close. Yeah. VI uh, is a good um, spot. I always swing by yeah. that. Is it? Okay. Yeah. VI is a good spot, man. I loved it. And mm. then you have uh, Petronia City, the very own Ghana, you know, yes. with um, um, Kwale's Bidiaco. group running that. But yeah, yeah. Bidiaco, yeah. Yeah, I've had I'm a couple of conversations with him. He's a good guy. Um, you have, what else? This Waterfall City, you're on the South Africa, right? Waterfall City, mm. um, Akon City in Senegal coming. And then there's other ones that I could mention, but there's now this kind of emergence of smart cities. And I think um, the technology mm. has set us up nicely mm. and to and the energy sources and the and being around oil and gas etc i think that sets up that's the set up africa nicely for all of this to come about and what i wanted to ask you Manu, is um why do you think this is the right time or why do you think this is now all happening now in africa and what's your take on smart cities in africa great question i would i would approach it from two angles there's a okay. Um, another guy, um, and he's also approaching kind of like smart cities more as an opportunity for connecting Africa and its diaspora. So a homecoming project. And the reason why I think it's relevant now is because of innovation thinking and, and of this big, large, hairy project, right? So there's a, there's an American philosophy around innovating and having a challenge, like going to the moon allowed for innovations, on earth that we didn't think about because now you have some of the smartest minds thinking about sustainability. So what if there's no oxygen? What if there's no water? What, how do we um, communicate across um, kind of planets? And I think that a lot of folks um, in innovation are saying that's a great mindset to have. And what would it look like if we had folks thinking as big as um, a whole city, which involves, multiple intersections of sectors, which involves sustainability, livelihood, finance, governance, um, conservation in those spaces. So it's really mm-hmm. cool to see folks that have attained some self, some level of self-actualization. So Akon is not, the folks who are behind each of these projects, they're yeah. not just regular, I'm starting my career folks. These aren't folks who are just yeah. dreaming. They've, they've had some level of success in a specific sector and they're realizing <laughs> how then do I apply that success, right? So then I, Kwame Beriako and others with, with real estates in different ways, but he's also kind of responding to a, a rally and a clarion call. We have a, um, a, a huge issue with urbanization globally. And so yeah. talking about a green planet and the way that we've built our kind of like cities around economic activity is detrimental. So even on the continent, most of the well-developed cities are close to um, ports of exports 
rather yeah. than opposed to areas of where culture is validated or where traditionally we felt. So you find that then our development, our budgetary items and migration from rural to urban fits an economic purpose, which is destructive to other ways of life. So yes, mm. we're supposed to be economically enabled, but we're more than just uh, fitting into an export import trade plan. And so you're seeing that like you can visit the capital cities, but once you leave any capital city in most of the African countries, you're like, what happened? Why didn't, why aren't we able to realign and rejig that? And I think that smart cities are trying to say, hey, in which ways can we reimagine what cities look like? How can we yeah. have them be also more embedded in the needs of both in, around conservation, but people's needs? So you, you start to look at energy uh, being yeah. thought of. What are the best ways of regenerating energy, recycling energy? And for, for yeah. those that are also like really keen, you, you then find anthropologists, you find humanists, you have other sectors that look at happiness and well-being. So how then yeah. do we build cities that reinforce that? Because the belief is when we're happy, we 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 do better. And uh, the productivity optimization is way more than when you're in indentured slavery or um, in what the industrialist era was of you're, you are just a number. This is your economic <laughs> output. I'll put it out. So, so I think it's timely because yeah. of these things, um, this okay. intersection, these larger needs. Um, and also, I think it, it it's the future of real estate. So if you're building and you very understand good the, very, very good. the energy, energy needs, you want to... Um, conserve as much and in, in, in and in, in kind of like a matrix so that each per unit, it has a sustainability model that makes sense. It, it allows for affordability. Um, and then also then it plugs into kind of like the global push. So during President Obama's time, not so much um, President Trump and the United States has led, but other European countries, Germany and others, I think are, and more like Netherlands and, and Sweden and, and Finland are very big yeah. on in which ways do we um, eradicate fossil fuel use? In which ways do we create mm -hmm. cities that from the ground up? Because it's difficult to have something that's embedded and dependent on fossil fuel. And then all of a sudden yeah. try to take away um, little things that have become a byproduct of that. So the train systems yeah. and others, when you build something that's on uh, renewable fuel, on wind fuel, on energy, which Africa's begging for it because, as I mentioned, such large swaths of undeveloped spaces, then these yeah. become examples, right? So Petronia mm -hmm. City becomes an example of what what uh, an aspired city that anyone would like to live in, yeah. like to, to still be connected, but then a sustainable <laughs> city that allows you to connect in ways that um, you feel happy and you feel like you're the best productive self. Wow. That's a, that's a, fantastic breakdown of uh, smart cities Emmanuel and I want to say that I think one thing that you mentioned which was key is that it's not just bringing about sustainability it's also about bringing happiness and wellness and health into that setup because what, what I noticed is that when I was actually looking up smart cities when you look at Echo Atlantic, when you look at uh, Petronia City, for example, those two, right? Nigeria and mm -hmm. Ghana. When you, when you look at what their motto is, mm -hmm. it's more like work, live, yeah. and play. Those three, those three words pretty much came up in both those countries' um, smart cities plans. Mm -hmm. And what you just explained literally just ticked all those boxes. Mm -hmm. So you're really thinking that you're really talking about, you know, just kind of like the future of just, just the human race, really. Like what, what, you know, 
yes, we need water, we need shelter, clothing, um, all this stuff. But then what's what's that next thing? Happiness, because I think happiness has been drained out, just like what you said from, you know, the industrial area um, being declared as a number and just working and just working to yourself to death, working mm. to kind of make ends meet and mm. not really having that time or resource to be able to enjoy your life. Mm. So I think smart. I think the smart cities really just ticks all those boxes and it tries to capture all of these elements in, in one space. Mm. Um, yeah. And what you said also, I just want to add about the, um, the fossil fuel dying, uh, you know, the fossil fuel being phased out. I think that's happening. You can look at London, for example, mm. huge penalties when you're driving with, you know, a huge gas guzzler car. Mm. Um, I think in the 2020, I think late 2020s or 2030s or even 2020s in in england for example um diesel cars are going to be phased out mm. and i think by 2030s i think it's only going to be electric cars or maybe hydro electric or whatever it is so i think everything that's happening in our in, in the world you know you look at you look at iot the internet of things everything that's happening right now mm. with mm. different things being phased out, i think they're all kind of leading towards what we what we're going to know as a smart city um i watched a ted talk um mm. the other day and it was about talking about how I think the the population of California was going to grow to about two hundred twenty, going to grow oh. to about fifty million by twenty fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the TED talk was a, was by a guy called what was his name Peter Kalfup. That's right. I think it came out in twenty seventeen, and he's talking about smart cities. And mm. I think he said by twenty fifty, the population of California is predicted to be about fifty million. And mm. so there's a need for this kind of. Uh, you know, just this restructuring of urban developments to make resources more efficient. Um, so I think it's just an interesting concept. It's just an interesting concept. And I think it was just, it's just great just to talk about these matters. No, absolutely. And, and one of the things that I think sometimes we forget is out of the top 10 largest industrialized cities, America probably has five of them. And so these type yeah. of ways of thinking is incredibly important for what, California would be able to do for both their citizens and what and and what that looks like and things like um, diesel emissions things like machines and even then extension of that is also just energy consumption per unit it's actually important mm-hmm. and I think during the and and for those of, of us who are like just love history of business and management looking at the way that America was built looking at the way Germany was built looking at the way London was built yeah. These these folks didn't have the same wherewithal to look at carbon emissions, to look at the planet and population growth. They did it in, in specific metrics, so we, we've inherited the GDP metric from that era. But we have the responsibility to know that we cannot just uh, industrialize with fossil fuels our way through development. We actually yeah. have the added responsibility of making sure that there is a healthy world that is there for our children. Um, and even for, for those who criticize China and their industrialization plan, they also um, have some really innovative cities. Um, some of the most innovative smart cities are found in China as well. I have colleagues I've not personally oh, really? visited. Absolutely. So since 2012, mm. China has been leading on innovation around um, smart cars, smart cities, the companies that they have. I think the... The word in, in most circles is that China is going to be able to democratize access to um, low energy cars and others before America does because of wow. population size yeah, and investments. And, and yeah. that is actually fascinating because China is a mix of having a, a developed world's dominance, but by population size, developing world problems.
So they're mm. much they're in some aspects, a lot of the way that they tackle innovation and um, equity for large population size matches what happens in Ethiopia, in Nigeria, um, in India, and in our parts of the world. And so those are kind of like the ways that in India also is quite big on trying to solve because these countries already have large population sizes. And so like the uh, kind of disposable wealth of an average Indian is nowhere near what an American can benefit from, nowhere near what a Londoner can <laughs> benefit from. <laughs> Tell you, man. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, the um, the, the, um, the economic gap is, is massive. It's ab- mm. absolutely massive. Um, mm. the, the wealth distribution is in the world is, is, is another thing. Um, wow. Okay. That's a, that's a great breakdown once again, um, about smart cities and just to add, just to add to that, I thought Japan would be more in the, um, just two things actually. I thought Japan would be kind of further ahead when it comes to, uh, smart city and innovation as opposed to China. Mm. Japan is. Japan has been one of the countries that's benefited post, um, world investment from the United States. And Japan has been one of the greatest exporters of management styles. So think of, um, automobile so moving from kind of like the ford general motors um yeah. mercedes bmw era into uh, mazdas and like conservative style and aesthetics and, mm. and just design built right and also just um, philosophy on, on iterated excellence the japanese management um, has brought in and a lot of what we do either in management practice and others is borrowed from japanese culture and it's a wealthy nation yeah. The problem with Japan, though, it's also an aging nation. So for them, they don't have a young, youthful population. Um, really? They're one of the countries that has a larger aging population. But mm. also, it's. It, I think, personally, I think China has been more aggressive in, one, trying to get as much more of their population out of poverty. And so they've mm. been forced to have very aggressive innovation practice, whether it's innovation by um, imitation and now it's been um almost like innovation by ownership so they they're they're actually chinese databases of every phd paper that's authored by a chinese person so they're they're fighting (laughs) the u.s on the patent wars they're fighting on industrialization wars and they have a one belt one road um policy that is yeah making sure that then a lot of the manufactured products that the u.s may not consume then becomes um africa becomes the market that benefits from that yeah and that's um i mean that's all of the politics happening this year isn't it i mean yeah, there's a big the trade war, yeah, big yeah. War, the trade war um 5g war as well with china and america but um it, on the- <laughs> I, I think i love it because i think for those of us in business and commerce it is a battle. It's. It, I think when we say war and the media hyperbolizes it um, in certain ways, but also it's it's always been like that. When when it was imperialist UK and they were dominant globally, when America was coming up and each of these businesses compete, and it's it's not it's not it's not like you're competing to be nice. You're competing to become a frontier. You're competing to be the one that distributes globally, and then mm. your team ends up getting the benefits. And because you you end up being the global frontier market, your citizens yeah. then benefit as well. And so like true, true. to tie that back into the smart city model, one of the things okay. that um, would have been really interesting and we need to do, and that's why I push strongly for ecosystems is to have government be a, a, a huge part of that because government also has access to resources and government always typically 
puts out these affordable housing programs. Government true, also puts true, out true, these true, policy true. initiatives. So if, if they yeah. adopt that uh, kind of like ethos of work, live, learn within what yeah. already they're going to do, you find out that they have the opportunity to be transformational. And I think that's what the Chinese mm. government has been able to do. They're, they're, yeah. They have, or they try to put in sometimes <laughs> too much. So for like surveillance, capitalism, surveillance and other things. That's why everyone is worried because they're dominating too much. Emmanuel, yeah. From trade from trades <laughs> to technology, I think everyone's getting a bit wary because they know that the, uh, the Chinese culture is a bit of a dictatorship culture. Right. Even if you look in China right now, the way everyone's being monitored, mm-hmm. um, that's going to come to the West. And I think everyone's a bit worried. Um, so I think mm-hmm. they're trying to slow that down or they're trying to counter that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know, but I know um, China and, and even in Ghana, right? You can look, you see how much China mm-hmm. has taken over in terms of the infrastructure and developments going on. So I think there's a lot of, um, as much as China is, is a blessing. I think at the same time, uh, I think some nations and some authorities and governments are trying to kind of push back China a bit because they don't want them to take over just everything right now. Right. No, I, I agree. One thing I'll, yeah. I'll share, and this is what this is what led me to to be to do research in South Africa. Also, was when you have yeah. a situation like this. Actually, when you have what we had previously, it was more detrimental than what we have now. And I'll explain. So, previously, um, post the Cold War all of our nation states subscribe to an American-led democracy. So the WTO, the WHO, and and Trump has been very vocal and clear about how much the United States as a single donor for these global organizations, right? But that also means they've had (laughs) more influence on how we do trade than the rest of us have. It's not been a playing field. Um, I'm excited about China's dominance because... And part of the narrative of taking away security and others, yes, we need to be vigilant on, but... If you look at ourselves as customers, you would rather have um, a multiple of choices that folks are selling to you and competing for you because then it brings the the, the cost down. But then they, because mm-hmm. they're competing, they both the com- the com- monopolize. I, exactly. I see what you're saying. And then they both start to tell us what it is that they're both doing wrong. So China also says, hey, you guys are saying, well, you want your freedoms, but where did that get you in institutional building and infrastructure? How much of (laughs) Africa's own infrastructure have we gotten from an aid-dependent relationship with the the G8 or with the UK and the United States? That's a good point. That's a very good point. So that's that's where China saw the opportunity. Absolutely. Mm. And so then it's for Mm. us to say, oh, Oh, so we've been getting screwed either way. So then it means that we need to, we need to be like, and, and that's what that's what happens. And, and it's fascinating because when, when they're company wars, and I love this, especially in um, pharmaceuticals, when they're competing for a patent and they have investment, sometimes what they do is then knowing that a, a, a company is ahead and being able to attain that um, patent. And of course, because pharmaceuticals, once you have that business go to market, you kind of have... Uh, legitimized monopoly to sell for a couple of years because you own the patent for 10 to 15 years, then to to get back the commercial gain of investing for trials, et cetera. What they do is when they know that uh, another company has a frontier, they start to put out all the secrets. Was their testing done right? Who are the people that didn't? We, we can't afford it. So us as just bystanders, we're not the ones it's that are, are doing the investigation. But Money talks, do, man. Thank you. So so for me, mm. like just to bring it back, I think that and the reason why I bring up um, other non-US um, and non-Europe factors and looking at China, looking at Singapore, looking at um, 
kind of India as examples of these smart cities is because they're also in a space where due to population size and policy for years, China's not a small civilization. They've, they felt like they've, they've innovated on gunpowder and paper. So they felt like they've deserved a seat at the frontier market table for a mm. long time. For yeah. us, I think that we shouldn't get too enamored by what the U.S. says about China or too enamored by what China says about the U.S. But we should take this opportunity and say, oh, you both want something from us. What is it that we're consolidating as an ecosystem power, as economies individually and collectively, and then which yeah. one of you can consistently deliver? And then guess what? When you don't <laughs> deliver, we're going to the next one because that's how that's we it. also build. Right? Yeah, that's, that, that would encourage more fair competition, Emmanuel. Yeah, that definitely Absolutely. would. Okay, so let's uh, let's start to bring it everything to a close. So, um, I know you, I know um, you're quite big on fourth industrial revolution, um, but I think the next best thing, or what goes hand in hand, is digital transformation. And right now, we're seeing a lot of that in Africa, and namely, we're seeing that happen quite a bit in Ghana. You know, obviously, you got you got Google setting up a base up there. You got um, mobile money happening. You got farmers tapping into tech. Um, what's your what's your take on what's happening on the digital transformation scene in Ghana? If you can quickly uh, go into that before we bring this to a close. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one digital transformation is is needed. It allows us to be able to have data analytics and have hopefully more real-time decision-making. We've, we've mm. passed that subsistence mindset. I can uh, put my hand in the air and then oh, it was going to rain tomorrow. Like once, <laughs> once, once you plug into like, <laughs> once you plug into world trade system, you realize that like, even for farming, right? Farms have to be able to predict six to eight months in advance um, the output of their products. So even before, yeah. like as you're planting in the seed, because then you also need to make um, provision for, courier spaces for ships that need to know ahead of time and have off takers within the supply chain system. And then also mm. know that you're going to be on shelves for customers that, that, are, that fresh life span, that is not your home yeah. country. So there's a, there's a bit of thinking analysis and, and a whole chain of systems that goes into taking from farm to plates or, or to customer level that I think We've, we've not taken as seriously. So you, you look at each of these kind of like sectors that we want to play in, right, from yeah. minerals to gold, and you look at the value-added services, and we've mm. kind of lagged behind. So what digital transformation does is it democratizes that information. Like um, one of my mentors who works for Tata used to work for John Deere. And because that company mm. was successful, they have decades of resources on our arable lands on what countries and which spaces and regions in the countries can produce output of agriculture, sometimes even better than in the United States and Europe and Brazil and others. Wow. We have wow. them in Nigeria. We have them in Ghana. We have it in South Africa. Mm. Locally, we don't. We don't know. The, we, our governments haven't funded these reports. Our local business people did not scale to be able to have those insights. But these firms yeah. have had it for years. So what digital transformation does is it starts to democratize some of these information so that smaller entrepreneurs can also be opportunistic then that way you're you're being more efficient with the little resources you have in order to make successful yeah. businesses yeah i'm i'm wow. a huge um i think i <laughs> and i think the folks that especially from the world economic forum and others if they know how much of a i'm not necessarily a skeptic i am a bit of um i believe that the fourth industrial revolution is being 
coined in a way that is very Western focused. I think that the intersection of technology yeah. and others is is happening, but we That's also need to need to to like, how, what does that mean for me as an African? What does it mean for me in the Sutu? What does it mean for me in Botswana? Like, and I think when we start to say, okay, I understand for our, but actually it's just one narrative of multiple ways in which technology can serve us auditory yeah. visual and others um then that way we start to look at innovations that come from us that could probably scale to the world so a good example is um mm-hmm. the use of whatsapp on training yeah. from maternity wards so some of mm-hmm. these are not haven't been put out there yet but they're quite mm-hmm. um, awesome examples of nurses and teachers in remote areas and they're able to send short videos slides and create teaching groups of transfer of knowledge so all this idea that you need a udemy you need a coursera <laughs> but they're able to use these short spaces to share and you don't need a yeah. thank you voice you notes, other a, things, right mm. so but those are the things that because we we also haven't created an ecosystem for capital markets we're not able to fund to scale it as widely for it to have that impact that it needs um so those are yeah. my thoughts on digital transformation i last point uh, no we have on time but i think it's very important mm-hmm. i think that our generation of people we need to also be okay with the opportunities that that have gone we weren't part of the creation of internet we're not part of creating creation of telephone lines or creating um, wi-fi the people who yeah. are benefiting from that, they spend time researching that. So instead mm-hmm. of us fighting to say, oh, we want our own icon number, we want these, these, these battles have been broken. <laughs> it's like saying that, oh, you want to create your own paper. Who the hell? It's not even it, like nobody thinks about it that way. But when the paper came out, that was the innovation for transferring information, right? Yeah. We need to start saying, oh, okay, there's the internet, there are the platforms, there's um, IoT of things. What products and what uh, marketplaces can we digitally create that allows our next generation of ways of working to also come on. So hopefully yeah. that if there's any message that you hear from me about for our, about digital transformation, like nobody, even if somebody tells you right now, I'm going to create the new TV or I'm going to create the new bass guitar. Really, bro? Yeah. No, you're going to create the new mix of melodies that has bass notes. Cause that has been fought in one. So the same thing should happen. I yeah. think for, for our and digital transformation tools for the continent. Okay. Yeah, again, I mean, you can't reinvent the wheel. Um, like I, those, these are kind of discussions I've had in the in the last podcast or two um, before yours. It's just you just can't reinvent the wheel. Well, that's quite. I mean, you've pun- you've you've you've, pa- you've packed quite a a handful there, Emmanuel. I really really appreciate you opening up, uh, sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, and just really giving the listeners, uh, you know, a different perspective on what's going on in Africa, um, e- economically and and obviously digitally and infrastructure wise. Um, no, just to round up the you're welcome. Just to round up the podcast. Um, this is a question I always ask my listeners before I completely wrap it up um so what's the sound of accra to you emmanuel so if someone was to mention accra to you what thoughts feelings attitudes vibes come to mind or, or comes to mind and uh, uh, you let my my accent come up is that accra central hey yes i saw that oxford like oxford street just just get out of your car yeah, somewhere and just it. walk down I love it. Yes, bruh. Mipui. Like that, yeah. that. I haven't seen that. Like, Mipui and seal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, uh, they'll tap you. Tete, do you see this? 
Then they'll tell you a price. Then they'll look at your face. They're like, no, this person did not. Then they'll innovate on price point right there. They're like, ah, give yeah. me five for <laughs> yeah, oh, you. Oh, man. That, yeah. That, that's that quite level, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that level of engagement. Yeah, that's interesting because my last guest talked about, you know, um, the whole street street hawking kind of culture in, in Accra. They they talked about that as what the sound of Accra is to them. So it's interesting. That's your kind of sound yeah. as well. Okay. Um, again, Emmanuel, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much um, for having I just want... Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, you're very welcome. I just want to end the show with how can it, how can people connect with you online? How can they tap into your services and how they, how can they get connected with the Unpacked Africa podcast? Don't worry. I'm going to have everything on the show notes, guys, at the sound of So you can go out and, you know, get connected. But yeah, Emmanuel, I'd just like you to, to share that information. And if you have any announcements as well um, to the world, then please, please use this as a platform. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Um, I think I, I do get involved in quite a number of initiatives and I have like at eagamore.com is kind of like a consolidation website of who I am, what I stand for. One of the themes that I picked up this year was maps and bridges. Like, so in my past, yeah. I've been able to create maps to, to do the things that I do. And I shared the map for thinking about African innovation. So from Ghana to Mauritius mm -hmm. to South Africa, and I'm trying to build yeah. bridges because I don't want to be the, the mid, the older person or person that's phasing out. And then our generation comes and asks, so what did we build for them to build on? So I'm very yeah, intentional yeah. about, um, how do I continue to like even share the little I know? Cause I think I can get caught up and say, Oh, I'm not, anywhere near where I want to be. I've not done anything. I'm definitely not Akon or Petrina city or, but, <laughs> but there's a whole generation of people behind us who are not like an Adrian. They're not an Emmanuel. They don't have the same lived experience or privilege of being able to, to research resource as we do. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, yeah. I've created a, um, a, point. a social enterprise called Iridi media as you are I T H I uh, media.com. And what okay. it does is I, I just, every every quarter every as much as i i can um at least every year i just host free workshops um for young wow. folks so for teenagers that's, that, yeah that's amazing yeah i've wow. been doing that for for um well i've been doing that since i moved to ghana but i've been i've, I've created it as a formal organization then that mm. way it, it's continuous you can follow your journey and it's always been free to attend and I've always mm. been able to use businesses and companies that I kind of work for in order to, to fund. So then, um, but this pandemic means that's, that a lot, of, clever. Yeah, a lot of the businesses that I, I our partners are really struggling. So if, mm. if you feel um, led in any way, I, I will be, um, so the website is live. I'll be creating an opportunity for you to buy seats for participants. So if you feel like okay. this, cause I'm able to reach personally and I'm good. I'm, I, this is a lifelong dream. It's continuation. It really means legacy. It's a continuation of what my father used to do as well. Um, yeah. but I think that I'm able to reach tens and maybe hundreds of people. Um, and what I've learned from the conversation with the former president, Alicia Goma Basanjo is that after mm -hmm. this pandemic, all of us on the continent are going to be poor at least for the next five years. It's a, uh, oh, no, it's, it's tragic, it's, man. Yeah. It's a generational gap. And so for, for a lot of young people who may have had aspirations, um, wanted to learn, do better for themselves. This is a legitimate crisis on what 
the opportunities look like. So I would love to extend um, the interventions I have for tens to hundreds of people to thousands of people, um, mm -hmm. whether it's through digital workshops or whether it's even through like expertise that folks have. So for your audience, yeah. if anybody, if any of this resonates, if you're also doing something that um, speaks to the common cause and we can share resources, <laughs> like Absolutely. I always say, create an ecosystem. Love to. to <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's quite something. Uh, thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you um, too. We will have everything uh, linked in the website, so you guys can go ahead and uh, check that out. Uh, and yeah, um, we're going to end it there, guys. And we're going to speak to you on the next one again. Emmanuel, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Sound of a cry. <laughs> the sound of a cry. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers. Hey, uh, this is E.A. Gamore. Thank you so much for clicking play and joining the Unpacking Africa podcast, where I explore ecosystems in our communities and figure out ish on the African continent. Join in, follow at 4IR Africa on social media, and let's stay engaged. Mm -hmm.